0: Hey everybody, you're listening to the Legacy Church podcast. Legacy Church is a multi-generational church that exists to worship God, become like Jesus, and bring hope to our community. Today we're sharing a message from our current series. We believe that the Word of God is powerful and has real-life application to our lives today. We hope that this message encourages you get connected and learn more about us by visiting our website at lgcy.church but we're starting in mark chapter 4 today verses 30 to 32 jesus said how can i describe the kingdom of god what story should i use to illustrate it it's like a mustard seed planted in the ground it is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches and birds can make nests in its shade. I love this passage. Um, we always talk about the mustard seed, you know, faith as small as a mustard seed. But Jesus is saying here that the kingdom of God is like this. Not sometimes, not once in a while, But all the time does God work like this, where he takes something very, very small. And that seed, once it goes in the ground and is buried and has a chance to go through the process, becomes something so large that it's one of the largest garden plants. That it expands, I think I read somewhere, that it expands like over 10 feet, the mustard seed plant. And that it becomes a haven For birds to come and rest. Like I said, it says, how can I describe the kingdom? It's like this. And it might be time to think about the fact that everything that God does is more like this than you realize. Everything. We love to look at the big things, right? In our society, in our world, we look to something that's super big and successful. We look at something that, you know, the world builds dead big things, giant skyscrapers, and you know, we look at celebrity culture and big famous people, and Jesus is like, my kingdom's not really like that. It's small, seemingly insignificant things that in time become something massive. God works much more like this than you think. Zechariah 4.10 highlights this part of God when it says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. It doesn't say the Lord rejoices in the finished product. It says he loves beginnings. He loves the beginnings of things. He loves the things that if you were to look at it at face value, it doesn't really have a whole lot of significance. God's into taking things that seem small and doing crazy things with it. We've been talking about this for weeks. Okay, we talked about the story of Gideon and God literally slimming his chances down so much that there was no chance he was making it. This is the way the kingdom works. And you know what's interesting about this is we rarely get to see where things begin. Rarely, okay? You, um, you look at a super talented person or a great move of God or a ginormous church or a this or a that, and you just see it for what it is. But you and I rarely get to see the small and significant moments where that thing started. And that's why it's very hard for us to believe that God could take something super small, insignificant, something like a mustard seed, like an imperceptible size, and grow it into something massive. And do something that you and I could never imagine in our wildest dreams. We look at accumulation of wealth, right? We look at the millionaires, the billionaires. But everybody started somewhere. Maybe it was ten dollars a month in their bank account. Okay, everything starts somewhere, and you and I, if we want to live by the way Jesus, you know, taught us, and if we want to live by the kingdom, we have to start seeing the tiny, insignificant moments. We have to start valuing them. We have to start seeing that this one day that I am doing might not seem like it matters now but one day it will and are we only interested in being a part of things that look like they're already successful when I look at Jesus's ministry this is Jesus Christ Jesus Christ God incarnate travels does miracles raises people from the dead does things you and I have never done and at the end of his life, everybody's gone. And he resurrects from the dead. Who's wait- How many thousands of people did he minister to? How many thousands of people did he touch? And in the upper room, there's a small, tiny group of people waiting for him. At, who actually stuck it through. Jesus, by all accounts, is a failure at ministry according to our standards of what we think success should look like. God loves to take small things. And the only reason you and I are here today, thousands of years later, is because of that small group of people, maybe this size, that was sitting in that upper room. So don't tell me that this doesn't matter. Don't tell me that this group, whatever mustard seed potential is in this room, cannot become something and accomplish something that thousands of years from now would not have happened had we not done what God intended for us to do. Many of us have moments in our lives where we've heard God speak to us, we've heard a word in season, we've heard a promise and in that moment, you know, you bring guest ministry in and they prophesy over you and they speak over you. And in that moment, it feels so big. Like, it feels so real. Like, God, you could actually do this. And then, like, three days later, you're like, what did they say again? <laughs> like, <laughs> I couldn't tell you. Is there a recording of that? The truth is, the moment you received that word, that seed, The moment, let's say, you encountered Christ and you received salvation, that is the smallest form that that thing is ever going to be. When you come to church on Sunday and you hear a word planted into your soul, that should be the smallest impact, the smallest form. Because that seed is designed to go into the soil of your heart. And to germinate and to create life. And then you go out into your world and there's evidence growing on the outside of the seed that you're taking in on the inside. Everything starts with a small moment. Everything. You know, last week, Pastor John spoke a word over Matt and I and over our church in Isaiah 49.6. And the Lord said, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. What God is basically saying here is it's too trivial for you to limit me to just this one thing. I know it seems like it's just tiny. I know it seems like it's just insignificant. I know it seems... But you're limiting me because my intention is to actually make you a light to the rest of the world. You're thinking about Israel and I'm thinking about everybody. And how many times in our lives we come in, we're thinking about that one person, that one situation, that one tiny thing. But God's intention is so much bigger than that. It's so much larger. It's so much more expansive. We're limiting him on a regular basis. We're limiting him. So let me ask you this question. Why do we limit him? And why can we not recognize God in the small things? Why do we blow them off? Why do we forget about them? Why do we feel like they don't matter? Why do we know? How do we hold this truth that we know the kingdom of God is like this? We know this is the way God works. You're looking for God in all the big moments. He's over in the small moments. You're looking for him in the, the big giant display, and he's like, oh, I was over here in the back corner of the room the entire time. You missed me. Because we forget But let's say we know, we know God's in these small moments. We know he wants to do these things. But why do we not recognize him? I believe that when you are hopeless, you stop looking for anything. Hopeless people are interesting. And we've all been there. Okay, we've all been a hopeless person at some point. Hopeless people are interesting because they don't necessarily um, give up attending church. They don't necessarily give up and stop serving or stop. Hopeless people will just put their heads down and just do the thing. And they're not up looking for anything different. They're not up looking on the horizon because they don't actually believe that there could be something coming. Hopeless people have stopped looking and waiting for God to do something. And we just get locked into the task. We get locked into what's in front of us. And what happens is, the Bible says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And we just get sick inside because we look out in this world and the war and what's going on. We look in our own in our own worlds and we're given, you know, some sort of diagnosis or, you know, we have pain we can't explain or, you know, all we can't have children and we've been trying to have children. And what happens is, is over if enough time passes, we stop expecting anything else. We just stop expecting it. And that is the most dangerous place that you and I can get to in the kingdom is when we just stop expecting anything to happen. We just stop expecting things to change. We just stop expecting. There's a story in the book of Luke about this man named Simeon. And he was very old at this point in the story. As a matter of fact, Simeon is alive in a season where God hasn't actually spoken for hundreds of years. You and I, we get to come in on Sunday and feel the tangible presence of God. He speaks to us. God had not spoken for hundreds of years. And here's this man, and he's waiting. He's waiting. It says in Luke two twenty two to 25, Then it was time for their purification offering. This is talking about Mary and Joseph. As required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So Jesus' parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Let's just stop there for a second. The turtle doves or the pigeons was like the poor people offering, okay? Most people that had wealth would bring, you know, a bull or something more significant. But the bare minimum that you could bring for this purification offering was these two turtle doves. So here comes Mary and Joseph, which we think Mary was historically very young. And they bring their two pigeons that they got off King Street. They found him outside. (laughs) And they bring it in. And they're holding a baby. They're holding a baby. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous, devout, and eagerly waiting. He was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. He was righteous, devout, and eagerly waiting. And the Lord had given him a word that he would not pass off this earth before he had seen the Messiah. Okay? We just glaze over this story. Oh, isn't that nice? Yeah. And then he saw him. Cool. Wow. No. No. Listen to this. Verse 27 says, That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. For I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. So Simeon has waited his entire life for this promise, and he sees Mary and Joseph, and he holds a baby and says, I can die now because I've seen your salvation. He didn't see nothing. He didn't see one miracle. He didn't see the water turn into wine. He didn't see Lazarus raised from the dead. He didn't see thousands of people sitting by the seaside. He didn't see anything. He saw a baby. Can you worship him when he's a baby? I don't know. Because we like to see the big finished product before we commit to anything. I need to see a miracle before I'm going to lift my hands. He sees a baby. A baby. And he's like, Lord, this is the answer I've been waiting for. I've seen your salvation. Who can look at the mustard seed and say, I see the tree. Praise you, Lord. For the tree, looking at a baby. If a baby walked in here, Pastor Sharon was just sitting over here. If somebody got up and started worshiping one of those babies, like security team. (laughs) It's weird. This is weird. You and I can sit back and look at the story in hindsight and go, yeah, we would have done that too. We would have seen poor little Mary and Joseph with their little pigeons they found on the side of the road and their little baby, and we would have fell at his feet and worshipped him. I don't think so. The reason Simeon could, though, was because he was waiting for it. And this is what I want to tell you. If you will set your eyes on the horizon and wait, you're going to see things coming. I'm done being blindsided by the goodness of God. I'm done. He's good. He has things that he has promised me. I am done sitting and waiting to be surprised and shocked by things that he has already spoken. Where is a church that is hopeful, that is looking on the horizon going, God, you said it. It hasn't happened yet. It's on its way. But we struggle. We struggle to have hope in the small things. We struggle. The question I'm asking you right now is, can you worship God when it's just in a seed form? Can you praise God for the beginnings of the journey or only the end result? Can you praise him for the start? Or are we waiting to praise him at the end when it all goes the way that we hoped it would? Because hope doesn't have all the evidence. Right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. If you're hoping for it, it likely means it hasn't happened yet. That's the entire concept of hope. And we are called to be a hopeful church. I mean, if anything, your hope is in that Jesus Christ is coming again. And that you and I don't grieve like those without hope because we know where we're going. We get to spend an eternity with him. And yet we live under this funeral sentence, like waiting for things to die. Waiting for it to get really bad. Oh, I'm hoping. I'm, ho- I, I'm believing. And we literally, where is he? Where is he? Lift up your head. He's there. He's doing things. But the thing was, was the Pharisees didn't recognize Jesus as a baby. It says the Magi came from the east with proof in the stars. And they went around. They went into the palace that was flooded with Pharisees. They went and they said the Messiah has been born. Not one person followed them. Not one person. The very people that did not recognize what God was doing when he was an infant did not recognize him when he was raising people from the dead in front of their faces. If you don't see him in the small things, you're never going to see him in the big things. Because you've stopped looking. When you stop looking, you stop finding my son, God bless him. I pray for him on a daily basis, son, I need you to go upstairs, I need you to go to my desk, open the drawer, there's a silver case in there, okay, I can't find it, like, and that's like within 30 seconds, I'm like, how did you even get up the stairs that fast, he's already determined he can't find it before he even gets there, it's, it's a miracle, I just, it's miraculously horrible. So he gets up there. I'm like, open the desk drawer. I did. I have to go walking up the stairs. And it's exactly where I said it was. I love him. You know, we can't all be, we can't be all good, okay? Can't have it all. He's talented at sports, but couldn't find a thing if his life depended on it. But that's us. God leads us in his word, he shows us where he can be found. I can't find him. I can't hear him. He's not speaking. I don't see it. I don't see it. And he's like, You're not looking. You've already decided that you're not going to find it. So you know what's going to happen? You're not going to find it. You're not going to find it. But what if you started making the decision to seek out hope, to seek out, God, what are you doing? It's just so easy to rhyme off everything that's going wrong. and every, Any one of us on any given day has a list of 25 problems, and they're all legit, and they're all valid. It's not easy to find what's wrong. It's hard to find hope. It's hard to keep your eyes on the horizon and to believe that something greater could come of whatever tiny little life you have. It's hard to believe that God could do something massive through a little church full of people. It's it's hard to believe, but we don't live by what we see. This is a kingdom of faith. This is a kingdom of going, I I acknowledge what's happening in front of me, but my eyes are above that, on a different horizon, on the horizon of hope, on the horizon of what the word of God has promised. Listen, I'm not sharing this with you. And I say this all the time because I feel like We just get in these modes where we think that we're the only ones who are going through things. I'm the only one that's feeling this right now. I'm the only one that has reasons to be hopeless. Look around you. Look around you. The church is not a perfect place. It's a place full of people who are going through stuff. People battling addiction. People battling disease. People feeling lonely. People feeling like they've got no one. All of that is happening around you. Your own pastors, your own pastors are going through it. I cannot just sit down now and go, well, it was fun. It's been great. I've been here for years. Still hasn't happened yet. Now I have cancer. So now you know what? I'm pulling the plug on this. I, I, I've, it's too far. I would be justified in doing that in the world's mindset. But this is the kingdom of heaven. This is the kingdom of heaven where even the smallest insignificant group of people, where even my little life could make an impact somewhere out there that I don't even know, that I couldn't even imagine. I will not give up hope. I will not give up that life finds a way. Walk on the sidewalks. There is green sprouting up in concrete. How does it happen? Okay? It's so powerful. Life is so powerful. If you would start to look for it and feed it and water it instead of constantly being. You know, the Lord spoke to me last year. End of September. I've shared this with you before. I'm going to remind you today. We were having a women's conference. And I had just lost that year. I had lost. Our family had blown up. My personal family had blown up. Everything fell apart. And I laid on the floor at the altar. And I was waiting to cry. And I was just like devastated, waiting to cry. And the, the Lord came along, uh, hello. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to cry. And he's like, why are you acting like this is some sort of funeral? And I burst into laughter because I realized I was laying there like a grieving, like I, I had experienced loss, Majorly, but I was laying there grieving like one without hope. And the Holy Spirit came along and said, don't you know? This isn't a funeral. This is a birth. I'm reminding you of this because we forget. So I start laughing and the Lord starts showing me, shows me this picture. And for those of you who haven't heard this, it was a hospital room. And there was a curtain down the middle, and on one side and the other side, there was people screaming. There's doctors and nurses running around everywhere, and everybody's, you know, there's machinery flying and blood splattering and all this activity going on. And then I get shot up to this bird's eye view. And on one side of the curtain, there's a woman giving birth. And on the other side, there's somebody fighting for their life. And the Lord said, if you could only see what I see, you would see that sometimes birth and death look the same. Sometimes they sound the same. Sometimes they feel the same. But one is giving birth to new life and the other one is dying. And he said, this might sound and feel like a death, but it's a birth. And that gave me hope. That on the other side of this situation, well, two weeks after the Lord spoke to me, I went because they thought I had gallstones and they found cancer in my body. And they did not know what kind it was. And I sat in the car after I had a panic attack. (laughs) I sat in the car and the Lord was like, This isn't a funeral. This is a birth. See, I thought I knew what he was talking about there, but he knows, right? He knows what's coming around the corner. And I took a deep breath, and in that moment, I knew I wasn't going anywhere. I didn't care if they told me it was this or it was that or it was this, it was that. The Lord spoke to me and said, this is a birth, not a death. I'm going to need you to hang on to that. I'm going to need you to have hope over this next season. That no matter what things look like, no matter what doctors say, no matter what financially comes in a, in the form of a storm, that God is trying to birth something in you. And seed, as Pastor Matt spoke, goes into the ground and you don't see it. Shh. Unless a seed dies and is buried, how can it ever come back? But when you lose hope, you get your funeral clothes on and you wait for things to die. And that is not the God that I serve. That is not something that I'm interested in. I want to be somebody like Simeon that, is eagerly waiting for God to do what He said He's going to do. Somebody who's got their head up, pick your head up. Start looking, look out for what He's going to do. And I'll and I'll round us down with this. Mark six verses one through six. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth. His hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? They scoffed and said, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, that poor family. And his brothers are James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. His sisters live right here. It says they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. The problem with this town was that they knew Jesus when he was small. They knew toddler Jesus. You can cut that track because that's just going to drive me nuts. I have ADD. I can't hear two things at one time. Um, seriously. <laughs> if there's like music on, I just squirrel. <laughs> like I can't do it. They knew Jesus. Good. I'm glad. I'm not the only one. Uh, They knew Jesus when he was a toddler. You know, Jesus, when he was born and grew up, you know, he didn't have, like, a halo and, like, run around healing people as a two-year-old. Okay? He was like, you're in my toddler. Okay? Now, when toddlers are acting crazy, they're not sinning. They're just being toddlers. Okay? So Jesus didn't sin, but he also was a toddler. And this town saw him. That way, And they couldn't get the smallness of him out of their heads. They couldn't get the smallness of the poor little Carpenter's family out of their heads to see with the eyes of hope that they had been waiting for for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. They couldn't see it because it was small. And it was insignificant. And it was poor. And it was not what they expected. And they literally wrote off the Son of God and could not receive from Him and could not believe in Him because they couldn't get the smallness of Him. And that's also called, like we've learned, familiarity. When you take the God part of someone and you go, But I know them, I know them, I've been in their house. I've seen them fight. I've seen them in their low moments. I've heard them. And you make someone, you keep them small. You keep them nothing. You keep them unable to become the tree that God has destined them to be. And what I want for my life is I want to be able to look at people and not make them small. I want to look at myself and not make myself small. Because every time you do that, you undercut what God is trying to do. And you look at Simeon and he holds a baby and he says, I have seen your goodness, Lord. How many of us have things, futures, children, people, situations in that small form And God's like, will you praise me now? Will you thank me now? Or do I have to do all the tricks for you? Do you need me to pull out my my big boy routine so that you'll actually see the significance of what's going on? Psalm 42, this beautiful moment. It says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with him? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. The psalmist is saying, remember how I used to go to the house of God with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng? (laughs) We were in youth this week. And there's a few kids, and it's a perfect seed form. It's great. I, I wouldn't change a thing. There's about five youth, and we all sit around and we talk about. And one of them said, Respectfully, (laughs) respectfully, the worship at church is a little bit boring. Respectfully, no one moves. Respectfully, barely anybody raises their hands. And here I am trying to teach the youth about worship. And they're like, respectfully, no one at church does this. Let that zinger hit. Let it hit. And I felt like the psalmist in that moment. (laughs) Phil and I told the tales of how we used to dance, how we used to come in with shouts of joy and praise in a festive throng. <laughs> and they said, Yeah, we've seen the pictures. We've seen the pictures. My heart ugh, broke. And I read this psalm and I realized the psalmist said, Remember, I used to go into God's house with shouts of joy and praise. And then he says, why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He goes on to say all of these things, how the Lord directs his love at night with his song Like God has been there for us. And he says again, why are you so downcast? Why are you so disturbed inside? Put your hope in God. You walk into this place, say that to yourself. Why am I so disturbed? We immediately start looking at everybody else. I am disturbed in my spirit. There are foul people in this place. We start going in full on judgment mode. There's something going on here. It's definitely the pastors. Maybe it is. I don't know. You know what? Your soul's disturbed because you need to put your hope in God. Not people. Not pastors. Not a church. Not a building. Not legacy. Your hope is in him. And no matter what happens, no matter what you face, your hope is in him. I don't want to recall the tales to the kids. Remember when we used to dance? Remember? No, that needs to be the story of today, but people without hope don't dance. People without hope don't shout, that's for sure. Only people that are filled with hope are excited, and excitement produces physical demonstrations of being excited. This is the church that Pastor Matt, I'm not laying down to discouragement. I'm not laying down to this heaviness. As long as I'm here, if I'm not sitting at that piano, you will find me, I do not care. I will do loops around this front because our time is too short to spend it discouraged, down, miserable, and without hope. We have a hope that is the anchor of our soul that no matter what we see, Put your hope in God, yet I will still praise you, even if I'm in a night season. Because you saved me. You rescued me. There's no way I would be here without him. When's the last time you stood up and started reminding yourself, saying it out loud, not mumbling? I'm not mumbling right now. I mean it. I wouldn't be here without him. My marriage would not be here without him. Some of you in this place put your hope in God. Even if you're in a small season, even if you feel insignificant, even if you feel like, you know, I'm just waiting. I'm just the mustard seed all the time and I never get to be the plant. Trust him. Trust him. Be looking. Be waiting. I want to be a church that's waiting. Let's stand to our feet. You can play the song now. <laughs> I'm normally the one that comes and underscores and I needed somebody to learn how to play keys in here so that when I'm speaking somebody else can do it. God, I thank you for this house. I thank you that no matter what we go through, that life finds a way, that your life finds a way through the cracks. God, I thank you that your word for this house is that we are going to go, and wherever we go, life is going to return. I thank you, Lord, that dry bones are coming back together, that muscle is being added, that tissues being added, that things that have been impossible are starting to open up, that you are going to move in this next season. God, we want to be people that are eagerly waiting for you, that are looking out, eagerly waiting, so that when you arrive on the scene, we can recognize you. So that when you show up, we can say, God, I have seen salvation. I have seen the thing that I've been waiting for. God, fill us with hope. Fill us with hope. Let us praise you again. Let us dance before you again. Let us be filled with excitement for the future. God, forgive us. We lay down this dread, this dread, this disturbance in our soul, God. We lay down the parts of us that are trying to analyze and figure out who's the problem in the place. God, forgive us. The problem's right here. It's me. Hi. God, help us. Like the psalmist said, people look around us and say, where's your God? I'm not seeing him. Yeah, we will praise you. We will put our hope in you. We thank you, God, that your intentions are for life. Your intentions are for a birth. We receive that word into our spirit today that this season is a season of birth. It's a season of birth. And sometimes when there's birth, God, we know some parts of our lives have to die. But we lay them down willingly to see your kingdom birthed in us in a new way, in a greater way. I ask that you would just bless every single person in this place. Encourage them. Fill them with hope like oxygen, God. Let them walk out of this place with their heads held high, looking for the next move, looking for all the ways that you're going to fulfill everything that you've said. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. To hear more, subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on our website at lgcy.church.